It's 7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast of the United States of America, 3 p.m. in London, 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan, and in Malaysia, it's 1979. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm, as usual, not wearing pants. Howdy, hi, hello, welcome in. Sarge, very excited for the next episode. Well, I'm glad you made it. Thank you very much for showing up. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, we are, uh, we're here, we're live across uh, Facebook Live, Facebook Watch uh, Live, uh, YouTube, of course, our YouTube channel over there, Jay Sheldon is where you'll find us on YouTube. Please subscribe. Also, twitch.tv, uh, Jay Sheldon. No pants, which is also where you will find Miko merch. Our uh, there we go. Our I'm not wearing pants logo and the amazing Miko. You can pick up a T-shirt or a cup or stickers or mouse pads, whatever. You'll find it there. Um, yeah, and hello to our podcast listeners, uh, wherever you may be checking us out on the audio portion only of the show, across uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Stitcher, TuneIn Podcast, uh, PocketCast, Radio.com, GeoSav in India, and uh, tons of places. Thank you so much. If you are interested in watching the video portion of our show, because a lot of what we do is kind of visual. I try and describe it as best I can, because I know we got tons of listeners to the podcast. But um, you can go to rumble.com slash jsheldonnopants, and you'll see all the episodes there. You can watch all of them, including this one, which is usually up about an hour after uh, we end the live stream. You can check it out, rumble.com slash jsheldonnopants, and please subscribe over there. It's all totally free. Um, and of course, you can join us Monday, Wednesdays, and Saturdays live, 10 p.m. Malaysia time, wherever that may be on your part of the planet. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, <laughs> if you want to support the, the show, you can do that at patreon.com. Just look for Jay Sheldon, J-A-Y-S-H-E-L-D-O-N. You'll see it. Oh, there it is. How convenient. Nice timing. Patreon.com slash Jay Sheldon. And you can go over there to support the show. Okay, enough plugging support things for me. And uh, thank you, tip of the hat, to all the folks who have uh, joined up and appreciate that. All right, uh, it is time. Miko Update. Yes, Miko Update. Update. If you don't know, if you're new to the stream of the podcast, Miko is our little Shiba Inu dog. Uh, her official full name, according to her pedigree, is Ichiko Mikoto, which is a very royal name. But we call her Miko. And um, I told you this story before, but now I've got the proof. There's this Siamese cat. It has a bell on its neck. It's very tame. It, it's owned by somebody in the neighborhood, but it wanders around, and it's chosen our yard to kind of hang out in. Miko has been trying to make friends, but Miko's a bit too excited. So we have a slider door in our dining room off the side of the house, 
and it looks out into my Japanese garden. I've showed you that before here. And a lot of times during the day, we'll leave that door open. There's a gate across it. There's a metal, metal bars, so it's secure, but we leave it open just to get the breeze coming through. Well, this Siamese cat, I wish I knew the cat's name, has not ever ventured into the house. It's always hanging out in the yard or underneath my car. Miko plays with it, tries to, you know, get it to play. And the cat has got cojones the size of bowling balls because this cat, it's a, it's, a, it's a she. But this cat, she does not put up with, it, with her crap at all. She swats at him. Anyway, I come downstairs and I head to the kitchen and as you can see from this freeze frame of this video, I'm going to play it in a minute. The cat is in the house drinking Miko's water. <laughs> Check this out. This is, uh, let me turn the sound on. There's not much going on here for sound, but the cat is hanging out at Miko's bowl. That's the neighbor's dog barking, which it always does. And look at this. The cat's just hanging there. Miko's like, come on, come on. You want to play? And the cat's kind of like, mm, maybe not. Back off, dog. <laughs> but she, look at that. She doesn't put up with anything. So the cat runs out and Miko, Miko's still trying to get it to play. <laughs> Unbelievable. This cat just does not know when to say no. Oh, man. So that's that's our Miko update for today. The cat finally managed to get the, the chutzpah to come in the house, and <laughs> Miko caught it. So, there's, you know, you can tell. They're just kind of play fighting. The cat doesn't put up with her crap, and she keeps trying to get the cat to play. So there you go. She's hanging around here somewhere tonight, but I don't think she's going to come in. We'll see if we can get... Well, if she does, we'll put her up on the stream. We'll... We'll jump her in here for a little while. <laughs> so, yeah, that was our uh, that was our Miko update for today. Not much else happening. It is hotter than blazes here. It's unbelievably hot again. It's always hot, but for the last week, it's been... Oh, I died and went to hell hot. So, yeah, we've got levels of hot here. It's like livable hot, really hot, and... Oh, my God, hot. It's been in the, oh my God, hot area for quite a while. Um, what else have I got tonight? I got get quite a few things, actually, uh, including um, <laughs> if you saw our thumbnail, uh, we'll get to that a little later. Uh, no, it's not a sex toy. Okay, so I'll explain that coming up in a little while. But uh, a friend, of, actually not a friend of mine, this is a, a page that I follow on Facebook called Japanese Inside. And they do a lot of really pretty pictures of temples and old Kyoto and stuff like that. So, of course, I'm fascinated by it. But I found a new uh, Japanese word, which, as this person says, I think it's my favorite Japanese word. And uh, I will probably screw up the pronunciation. Kuchisabishii. Kuchisabishii. That is Japanese for when you're hungry. You're not hungry, sorry. When you're not hungry, but you eat simply because your mouth is lonely. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I can, I can, 
I can identify with that. And, you know, especially because we've all been under house arrest for like five years, um, it, you get a lot of that. A lot of my friends have been posting and saying, oh, my God, I got so fat since lockdown and all that stuff. But it's true. Sometimes you eat not because you're hungry, but simply because your mouth is lonely. So for all those of you out there with lonely mouths. There you go. There's a word for that in Japanese. <laughs> oh, man. All right. More of the stupid people on the Internet. This is the absolute collection of curated crap from the cacophony of collectibles called the World Wide Web, the Internet. Um, where is this from? Ranker.com. Again, I don't know the site, but we like to give a tip of the hat to the folks we, we get these things from. And it's, uh, it's 47, I'm not going to do all of them, 47 hilarious times the internet caught people making unsuccessful attempts. Mm. You'll get what I'm saying when we get into this a little bit. Like I said, I'm not going to do all of them because there's 47 of them, but I'll give you the first few of them. Um, people that post something and probably didn't exactly think through what they were posting when they posted it. Um, if you use facial recognition for anything, the government has your face. Dun, dun, dun. And then somebody replied, wait till you find out about driver's licenses. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, here, somebody posted, Stan Lee was a bigot. He said Peter Parker could never be gay. So stop with this Stan Lee worshipping. He not only refused to make Spider-Man queer, he also stated that Spider-Man should never be gay. If you continue to idolize him, then you're just as bad. To which someone replied, He said Peter Parker shouldn't be gay because the character wasn't written with that intention. There's more to LGBTQ plus inclusion than just queer washing already established non-queer characters. Also, Peter Parker isn't the only Spider-Man. Stan Lee created X-Men to show how we shouldn't discriminate or be afraid of people just because they're different. That's who you're trying to paint as a bigot. So sit your dumb ass down. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, I love these. I see them all the time. And I have to believe that it's, it's not clickbait necessarily, but the more you get people to... On Facebook, the algorithms work specific ways, uh, including uh, sharing. If you share, for example, our live stream right now, if you click that share button and share it to your page, the algorithms will pump me up in their feed. And that because it shows that you are sharing it, you are interacting with it, you're engaged. And so the share button is a big one on Facebook. Not so much YouTube, Twitch, things like that. But on Facebook, it's the share button. Like, subscribe, all those are important, but the share one is the one that goes, ming, 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 sets the meter off. 
I have to believe that that's what these are. Because when you see them posted, they are so stupid that it just encourages people to reply to it, which, of course, then increases their engagements. Likely, that's what they're trying to do. Because, for example, this one, no English word has double O, O-O, except good. Prove me wrong. Somebody answered, book. Try reading one. <laughs> yes. Yes. Burn. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I, I love this one. This, this one gets me every time. Uh, this is a visual, so sorry for those on the podcast. But if you don't know the difference between there, there, and there, you're an idiot. And the reply was, well, this is awkward. Because if you can see here, they spelled your wrong. They used the wrong version of your, Y-O-U-R, as opposed to apostrophe R-E. And somebody said, well, <clears throat> this is awkward. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> If you're going, <laughs> all right, just one or two more of these because they're just they're too stupid to believe. Uh, if you're gonna, <laughs> if you're gonna go try and rob a bank or hit up an ATM or pull off some sort of hate crime, you might want to check to see if your phone is on. These teens, I don't know what was important about putting down their race, but uh, they did, wore masks so that they couldn't get caught committing a hate crime. However, little did they know that when they snuck on campus to paint swastikas and slurs, their phones auto-connected to the school's Wi-Fi under their individual user names. <laughs> oh, yes, burn. <laughs> Uh, and finally, in the why don't we just take the labels off everything and let let God sort it out? Somebody posts, hard-boiled eggs are disgusting. I almost died eating one. The crunchy, soft mix is absolutely disgusting. It's like eating a ravioli covered in chips. And the reply, of course, is you're supposed to remove the shell. Laughing my ass off. <laughs> Man. Honestly, you really wonder how do these people remember to get dressed in the morning? How, how do they remember to put on pants? or where they work and get to work every... Actually, probably most of them don't have jobs, but yeah. that's uh, Again, this list goes on. There's 47 of them, and they just get weirder and weirder. That's just the top five or six. You can find it over on ranker.com. <laughs> oh, man. Unbelievable. <clears throat> Excuse me. Did you see my ring tonight? <clears throat> I'm wearing a, a a different ring than I usually wear. And I know it won't focus on there. Let me see all oh, my freckled hand. Um, 
Yeah, see, it doesn't quite show up the way it should. That is my favorite gemstone. It's a, it's a star sapphire. And if you don't know what a star sapphire is, um, it's a sapphire. But in the sunlight, when the sunlight hits it, there's a five-pointed star that can be seen inside the gemstone. They're absolutely beautiful. It's, it's not a typical, you know, star. It's just five points of light that come out from a center point. And it moves as you move the ring around in the sunlight. It's just part of the crystals in the gem that do that, and specifically to a star sapphire. It's always been my very favorite uh, gemstone. I bought this one uh, from a dealer here in Malaysia as just the stone, and then a very dear good friend of mine had it made into a ring for me, which was really nice. It's a silver, sterling silver ring, because I'm not a fan of gold. I don't know why, I just, eh, gold and I just don't get along, but uh, I love silver. So, um, yeah, so it was fashioned into a ring, and my, one of my favorite stones, actually my favorite stone, the, uh, the star sapphire. But I thought of that. I wore it tonight simply to show you this ring, not to brag about my star sapphire, but to connect it to this story from Sri Lanka, the world's largest star sapphire cluster has been found in a backyard by accident. Look at the size of this thing. If you're listening on the podcast, sorry, go to rumble.com slash jsheldonnopants for the visual. Um, this thing is, I, I couldn't tell you, I would say at least maybe mm, three feet around and uh, side to side and up and down, maybe two feet. If you see, there's people standing right next to it and it, it comes up just maybe just below their waist, I would say. It's estimated worth up to $100 million. These things ain't cheap. Star sapphires, the, the good ones are not cheap. But it was found, uh, let's see, give you a little bit of the background of the story. A gem trader said the stone was found by workmen digging a well in his home in the gem-rich Ratnapura area in Sri Lanka. Experts say the stone, which is pale blue in color, has an estimated value of up to $100 million in the international market. It weighs whoa, 510 kilograms, 2.5 million carats. Oh, and it has been named the Serendipity Sapphire. A person digging the well alerted us about some rare stones, and they stumbled upon this huge specimen, according to this is an article from bbc.com. Um, he didn't want to give his full name or the location for security reasons, obviously. Um, he's a third-generation gem trader and informed authorities about the find. It took them more than a year to clean the stone of mud and other impurities before they could analyze it and certify it. A $100 million star sapphire cluster found in the backyard by accident. Oh, man. Sweet! Somebody has a valuable backyard. Very, very nice. Mm, coffee break. Give me a sec. 
Unbelievable. That's absolutely incredible. Wow. Frightening. Okay, on to some inspiration, because we always like doing a little inspiration. And then up next after this, it's not a sex toy. So get your mind out of the gutter. All right? Stand by. We'll do that in a minute. But we find these things that are very inspirational on the net, and I love sharing them. Because, well, just because sometimes you need kind of a, a words of encouragement. And um, I, I love this one. It is from Sherry Eckert uh, from a site called A New Way of Thinking over on Facebook. You go give them a like, hat tip to them. It says, someday you will die and leave this earth behind. But on all the other days, you won't. So live them. Live them like the priceless gift that they are. Live each new day with eyes wide open. See the beauty. Focus on the good. Feel the sun, the snow, the wind, the rain, and elements of your planet on your skin. Walk your feet upon Earth's ground. Stargaze. Climb trees. Go for drives. Look at other people's homes and say to yourself, there are people living their lives in there. Be aware that every person in humanity is going through their own thing. Be thankful. See your blessings, not only your problems. Life is too precious to live any other way. Nice. We love these things. We absolutely love these things. And I hope you enjoy uh, my sharing them with you. That is a new way of thinking's page over on Facebook. You can go give them a uh, go give them a hi hi ho. All right. <laughs> I mentioned this before. We did a segment of one of our past shows. In fact, now you can find it on Facebook Watch. We have a new page over there called I'm Not Wearing Pants Shorts. And it's just the little segments that we do like we're doing now, only they're all cut up into their own little piece. So they're a minute, two minutes, four minutes, three minutes. You can just watch them piece at a time, find one you like, click. And be sure you subscribe to that feed and you'll be notified because we've got lots more of them coming. Every show generates some new ones. Right now we're playing catch up. I'm through about show 45 or so. And this is what, show 93? Yeah, I got a lot of work to do. But anyway, um, we did a segment on lawn jarts, J-A-R-T-S, which were these giant darts with a metal spike on the end that used to toss at each other and try and get in the circle. Anyway, enough about that. You want to know about jarts, go find the jarts episode. But that made me think about something called clackers. Clackers were the 70s, just like jarts. Back in the days when we used to play games that would kill you, uh, these things were, were like pet rocks. They were so popular. Everybody, including this guy, used to have a set of clackers. And if you don't know what clackers are, I found a video for you. This is clackers. 
See that? That's how they work. There you go. And that's how they used to sell them like that in these packages. So <laughs> I don't know if the sound came through, but they were made out of this hard plastic. And whenever they would hit, they would go clack, clack. So that they're on strings with a handle at the top. And as you bounce them against each other, they went clack, clack. And once you got the rhythm, you could then give it a good shove and they would start going top, bottom, clack, 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 clack. And in fact, there, here's, here's one here, the Clacker World Speed Record. Because people could really go nuts with this thing. All right, check this out. The sound is not going to come through. But this apparently is a speed record clacker. So you see, see they get going and boom, boom, there you go. Oh, man. Can you hear that? Probably not. Whoa! I wish you could hear that sound. That is absolutely incredible. Wow. All right, so here's the deal. What happened was, because they're made out of, I, I assume, some kind of polyurethane, or, or they, they looked like it. They weren't plastic per se. Maybe that's what polyurethane is. But they were this hardened, almost clear, uh, I don't know what the word is. I'm going to keep with polyurethane, but I don't know. And that's, that's why they made that clack sound, because they were so hard. Well, what happened was, when you really got going, like this guy just did, I just showed you, sometimes they would break. And at that speed, and at that kind of violent impact, they would explode. I mean, pieces of these clackers, little clacker balls, would go everywhere get in people's face, embed themselves in people's forehead, get it in your eyes. Uh, it's like people that wound up with jarts in their chest, you know, the giant metal spikes. People wound up with clacker pieces embedded in themselves. So it only took maybe two or three of that incident happening, and all of a sudden, no more clackers. So they were taken off the market, but man, they were fun. That was a blast. I used to absolutely love clackers. That was so much fun. Oh, man, the things we used to do back in the 70s. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I got one more for you. And, uh, and that has to do with reading, because one of the things we do on this show is we always encourage you to read you to pick up a book, maybe even one you've read before a long time ago, maybe decades ago, and read it again because your perspective has changed and the book will have changed for you too. But to really encourage, if you have kids, your kids to read. Either read to them, let them listen to audio books. We have that also, which is what we're going to do next. Um, but we really, really encourage you and your kids and you to encourage your kids to read, 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 read books, listen to audio books, download ebooks for their little tablets, whatever it might be. It's not just about plugging this show and we read the classics here. Um, in whatever form it is, it is so important 
for their development, for their brains to grow and to learn. And so we always encourage you to get your kids to read and read yourself while you're at it. Um, <laughs> there was, as you know, um, the whole SpaceX thing with Elon and uh, Bezos and his giant penile rocket that went into space for a few seconds and they spent uh, billions of bucks on doing that. Um, I am a big fan of Dolly Parton. Yeah, I know. But uh, I always, always have been a big fan of uh, Miss Dolly. And somebody posted this. It's called Owl at the Library. And, you know, there's been arguments about we could be solving world hunger instead of spending the billions on sending these trillionaire moron business people up into space in whatever personal goals they have. But this one really hit home because of the way I feel about reading and getting your kids to read. Dolly Parton did not spend her millions on vanity space travel. She spent it putting 150 million books in the hands of children. And honestly, more people should be like Dolly. And you are exactly right. Instead of spending your billions on putting your rich butt into space for a few seconds, imagine what you could have done. Imagine what Dolly Parton did do by spending her millions on putting 150 million books into the hands of children. Dolly has always been heavily involved in uh, reading. If I'm not mistaken, she has her own publishing company. Um, so, yeah, she does remarkable, remarkable work with, uh, with getting kids to read. So hats off and a hat tip to Dolly Parton. And um, not a bad way to look at it. If more rich business people would spend a little of their a very small portion of their billions and billions of dollars on helping our kids get books in their hands. Imagine what we could accomplish. All right. It is time to switch over to our front cam here and turn on our little picture of the front cover of a book. The book is Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book. And as we've said several times while we've been reading this book, it ain't nothing like the movies. <laughs> we found that out. Um, just a, a couple of plugs. Of course, you can find this on uh, Gutenberg.org, which is where we get all the books. They're in the public domain, so they are available to be read and uh, done. What, what I do by reading them is considered a performance, so I've got to use public domain materials so we don't get hit with a lawsuit or a copyright strike. Um, so we've picked some amazing books. They've been great. We did... The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, The Velveteen Rabbit, uh, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, The Little Prince. And we are about two-thirds two of the way through The Jungle Book, which, other than a few of the characters' names, is absolutely nothing. There, I made up a word. Absolutely, positively nothing. <laughs> made up two words. Like the, the animated movies. 
So, yeah, there's that. Uh, they have been very, very different. So, um, we're going to continue on with the Jungle Book. When we last left, we were on a, on a chapter called The White Seal. And the baby seal was trying to find a place to get away from the seal slaughter that was going on by the men on the island. And um, he didn't seem to have much luck, but he suggested uh, the sea vitch, with vitch, that's with a V, the sea vitch, uh, suggested that um, they go and ask the sea cow. And uh, Kotick, uh, the white seal, had asked, where would I find the uh, sea cow? And uh, the sea vitch said, uh, oh, one of the gulls said, he is the only thing in the sea uglier than the sea vitch. Uglier with worst manners. So, in the continuation of this chapter, Kotick is going to head out to try and find the sea cow. Kotick swam back to Novastashna, leaving the gulls to scream, where he found that no one sympathized with him in his little attempt to discover a quiet place for the seals. They told him that men had always driven the holluschickie, and it was part of the day's work, and that if he did not like to see the ugly things, he should not have been going to the killing grounds. But none of the other seals had seen the killing, and that made the difference between him and his friends. Besides, Kotick was a white seal. Uh, what you must do, said the old sea catch, after he'd heard his son's adventures, is to grow up and be a big seal like your father and have a nursery on the beach. And then they'll leave you alone. In another five years, you ought to be able to fight for yourself. Even gentle Matka, his mother, said, you will never be able to stop the killing. Go and play in the sea, Kotick. And Kotick went off and danced the fire dance with a very heavy little heart. That autumn, he left the beach as soon as he could, and he set off alone because of a notion in his bullet head. He was going to find the sea cow, if there was such a person in the sea. And he was going to find a quiet island with good firm beaches for the seals to live on, where men couldn't get at them. So he explored and explored by himself from the north to the south Pacific, swimming as much as 300 miles in a day and a night. He met with more adventures than can be told, and narrowly escaping being caught by the basking shark and the spotted shark and the hammerhead. And he met all the untrustworthy ruffians that loaf up and, up and down the seas, and the heavy, polite fish, and the scarlet-spotted scallops that are moored in one place for hundreds of years, and grew very proud of it. But he never met the sea cow, and he never found an island that he could fancy. If the beach was good and hard, with a slope behind it for seals to play on, there was always the smoke of a whaler on the horizon boiling down blubber, and Kotick knew what that meant. Or else he could see that seals had once visited the island and all been killed off, and Kotick knew that 
where men had come once, they would come again. He picked up an old stumpy-tailed albatross who told him that Kurgulan Island was the very place for peace and quiet. When Kotick went down there, he was all but smashed to pieces against some wicked black cliffs in a heavy sleet storm with thunder and lightning. Yet, as he pulled out against the gale, he could see that even there had once been a seal nursery, and it was so in all the other islands that he visited. Limmershen gave him a long list of them, for he said that Kotick spent five seasons exploring, with a four-month's rest each year at Novastashna, when the Holishchukis used to make fun of him and his imaginary islands. He went to the Galapagos, a horrid dry place on the equator where he was nearly baked to death. He went to the Georgia Islands, the Orkneys, Emerald Island, Little Nightingale Island, Goes Island, Bouvet's Island, the Crossets, and even a little speck of an island south of the Cape of Good Hope. But everywhere the people of the sea told him the same things. Seals had come to those islands once upon a time, but men had killed them all. Even when he swam thousands of miles out of the Pacific and got to a place called Cape Corrientes, that was when he was coming back from Goes Island, he found a few hundred mangy seals on a rock, and they told him that men had come there too. And that nearly broke his heart. And he headed round the horn back to his own beaches, and on his way north he hauled out at an island full of green trees, where he found an old, old seal who was dying. And Kotick caught fish for him and told him all his sorrows. Now, said Kotick, I'm going back, back to Novastashna, and if I'm driven to the killing pens with the Holoscheki, I shall not care. The old seal said, Try once more. I am the last of the lost rookery of Masafuera, and in the days when men killed us by the hundreds of thousands, there was a story on the beaches that some day a white seal would come out of the north and lead the seal people to a quiet place. I am old, and I shall never live to see that day, but others will. Try once more. And Kotip curled up his mustache, it was a beauty, and said, I'm the only white seal that's ever been born on the beaches, and I am the only seal, black or white, who ever thought of looking for new islands. This cheered him up immensely, and when he came back to Novastashna that summer, Matka, his mother, begged him to marry and settle down, for he was no longer a hollis chick, but a full-grown sea-catch, with a curly white mane on his shoulders as heavy, as big, and as fierce as his father. "'Give me another season,' he said. "'Remember, mother, it's always the seventh wave.' that goes the furthest up the beach. Curiously enough, there was another seal that thought she would put off marrying 
until the next year. And Kotick danced the fire dance with her all down Lucannon Beach the night before he set off on his last exploration. This time he went westward, because he'd fallen on the trail of a great shoal of halibut, and he needed at least one hundred pounds of fish a day to keep him in good condition. He chased them till he was tired, and then he curled himself up and went to sleep on the hollows of the ground swell that sets in to Copper Island. He knew the coast perfectly well, so about midnight, when he felt himself gently bump on a weed bed, he said, Hmm, tide's running strong tonight, and turning over underwater opened his eyes, slowly and stretched, and then he jumped like a cat for he saw huge things nosing about in the shoal water and browsing on the heavy fringes of the weeds. By the great combers of Magellan, he said beneath his mustache, who in the deep sea are these people? They were like no walrus, sea lion, seal, whale, shark, fish, squid, scallop that Kotick had ever seen before. They were between twenty and thirty feet long, and had no hind flippers, but a shovel-like tail that looked as if it had been whittled out of wet leather. Their heads were the most foolish-looking things you ever saw, and they balanced on the ends of their tails in deep water when they weren't grazing, bowing solemnly to each other, and waving their front uh, flippers as a fat man waves his arms. Ahem, said Kotick. "'Good sport, gentlemen,' the big things answered by bowing and waving their flippers like frog footmen. When they began feeding again, Kotick saw that their upper lip was split in two pieces, that they could twitch apart about a foot and bring together again with a whole bushel of seaweed between the splits. They tucked the stuff into their mouths and chomped solemnly. "'Messy style of feeding that,' said Kotick. They bowed again, and Kotick began to lose his temper. "'Very good,' he said. "'If you do happen to have an extra joint in your front flippers, you needn't show it off so. "'I see you bow gracefully, but I should like to know your names.' The split lips moved and twitched, and the glassy green eyes stared. But they did not speak. "'Well,' said Kotick, you are the only people I've ever met uglier than Seavich, and with worse manners. Then he remembered in a flash what the Burgomaster Skull had screamed to him when he was a little yearling at Walrus Islet, and he tumbled backward in the water, for he knew he had found the sea cow at last. The sea cows went on slooping and grazing and chomping on the weed, and Kotick asked them questions in every language he'd picked up on his travels, and the sea people talk nearly as many languages as human beings. But the sea cows did not answer, because sea cows cannot talk. He has only six bones in his neck where he ought to have seven, and they say under the sea that prevents him from speaking even to his companions. But, as you know, he has an extra joint in his foreflippers, 
and by waving it up and down and about, he makes what answers to a short, clumsy telegraphic code. By daylight, Kotick's mane was standing on end, and his temper was gone where the dead crabs go. Then the sea cow began to travel northward very slowly, stopping to hold absurd bowing counsels from time to time, and Kotick followed, saying to himself, People who are such idiots as these would have been killed long ago if they hadn't found some safe island. And what is good enough for sea cows is good enough for the sea catch. All the same, I wish they'd hurry. It was weary work for Kotick. The herd never went more than 40 or 50 miles a day and stopped to feed at night and kept close to the shore all the time while Kotick swam round them and over them and under them, but he couldn't hurry them up one half mile. As they went further north, they held a bowling bowing council every few hours, and Kotick nearly bit off his mustache with impatience until he saw they were following up a warm current of water, and then he respected them more. One night, they sank through the shiny water, sank like stones, and for the first time since he had known them, began to swim quickly. Kotick followed, and the pace astonished him, for he never dreamed that Sea Cow was anything of a swimmer. They headed for a cliff by the shore, a cliff that ran down into deep water and plunged into a dark hole at the foot of it, twenty fathoms under the sea. It was a long, long swim, and Kotick badly wanted fresh air before he was out of the dark tunnel they had led him through. My wig, he said when he rose, gasping and puffing into the open water at the further end. It was a long dive, but it was worth it. The sea cows had separated, and they were browsing lazily along the edges of the finest beaches that Kotick had ever seen. There were long stretches of smooth, worn rock running for miles, exactly fitted to make seal nurseries. And there were playgrounds of hard sand sloping inland between them, rollers for seals to dance in and long grass to roll in and sand dunes to climb up and down. And best of all, Kotick knew by the feel of the water, which never deceives a true sea catch, that no men had ever come there. This is it, said Kotick. It's Novastashna over again, but ten times better. And that's where we'll end it for tonight. Now Kotick's got to get back to the sea. The sea catch. Hopefully he can make it to tell them what he's found. <laughs> All right. In our next stream, we will continue on with Kotick's adventures. The White Seal from Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book. Very cool. 
Thank you so much, folks. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to our podcast across all your favorite podcast places. Be sure you like and subscribe. You'll find us on patreon.com slash jsheldon. If you want to support the show, please do that. And I will see you again on uh, Saturday night at 10 p.m. Malaysian time. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. Good night.